Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Planorama podcast, brought to you by the Ryerson Planning Alumni Association. Planorama is a fun, easy-listening, interview-style podcast where each episode we'll be chatting with Ryerson planning grads from all age ranges, programs, and backgrounds. We'll be talking about everything from favorite planning buzzwords to favorite field trip memories. And I'm your host, Ashley Patton. episode, I had the opportunity to chat with Alex Gallo, who I met through the Ryerson Association of Planning Students, or RAPS, when we were on the council together when I was in my fourth year and Alex was in his second year. Alex is currently a master's student studying sustainable urban planning and design at KTH Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden. He's interested in how urban planning and design can address challenges related to transportation, sustainability, and public health. He graduated from Ryerson's undergraduate program in June of 2018. This episode is a bit longer than the previous episodes, but it's only because Alex is so passionate about his work and the world around him. So have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Alex. So um, thanks for joining me today to uh, interview you for the Planorama podcast. Maybe let's just start with some introductions, um, where you are right now, when you graduated Ryerson, what program you graduated from, and kind of what, what life has uh, been like after graduating. Perfect. Okay, yeah. Uh, thanks so much, Ashley. Um, yeah, my name's Alex. I graduated the uh, Bachelor of Urban Regional Planning four-year undergrad in uh, 2018, so just last year in June. Um, right now, I'm in Stockholm at uh, KTH Royal Institute of Technology, and um, because I've been practicing my Swedish so well, I can <laughs> say the full name, and um, the people who know how to say the school's name properly are going to start cringing, but it's Kungliga Tekniska Högskolan. Mm, wow. Impressive. It's, it's all the practice of listening to the metro name station. <laughs> and... Um, what am I studying here? I'm doing my master's of sustainable urban planning and design. I think that answers all your questions. Yeah, amazing. And so you went straight from uh, graduating undergrad last last June to um, Stockholm. And kind of what, I know just from, from knowing you, your backgrounds uh, or work experience has been in transportation mm-hmm. and uh, kind of that sustainability portion and transit and, and stuff. So maybe... Um, Maybe just ex- describe kind of your personal interest in in what parts of planning that you are interested in. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, and uh, you're right. I've uh, I've been super lucky to kind of nail down a couple of, of summer internships working in transportation, um, mostly in like infrastructure planning and transit, and uh, even got to uh, to do some stuff out of province, which has been great. Um, I was primarily interested in transportation um, because it kind of kills three birds with one stone, so to speak. I was really, really interested in the idea of public health and uh, environmental sustainability, as well as uh, this super frustrating thing around, you know, traffic congestion and, of course, how it's going to be getting a lot worse, given the fact that we know that Canada is such an urban country and it's only going to get even more urban. So, you know, there's going to be this competition for uh, a lot of 
you know, finite amount of urban space, especially when we're talking about transportation. And um, there's been, you know, some research around how, um, like, urban environments can be called, you know, obesogenic in some sense. Uh, that uh, if you just live in an urban area or a place where you don't get a lot of, you know, physical activity, it's been, you know, air quotes, and engineered out of our lives, um, that uh, there's, there's kind of uh, problems with um, just being inactive. And uh, the third thing is, of course, how um, our transportation systems may be not so much as uh, they are today with the advent of, you know, electric vehicles and, you know, more efficient fuel burning uh, technologies that have kind of improved this, but uh, transportation takes up a really, really big chunk of, you know, carbon emissions that get uh, get put into the atmosphere. And I, uh, I grew up in a suburb uh, south of uh, Vancouver in uh, the city of Delta, now city, used to be corporation. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, what, what really hit um, home for me was the fact that I, like Delta is a very low-lying area, as you've seen, a kind of south uh, part of um, the, the Fraser River Delta there, we sit at about, you know, two to five meters above sea level. And when you learn about, you know, sea level rise and sitting on the Pacific Ocean, in the winter, we kind of get some store, um, some storm surges that sometimes really uh, breach some of the the dikes that kind of protect us from us, the kind of uh, ocean there. And when, when you learn about, you know, the impacts of climate change and sea level rise, and you live in a low-lying area, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, we should probably do something about this. Planning for me is a bit of a, uh, I, I say this selfishly, because, you know, I wanted to, to go ahead and, and do what I could to um, help make my hometown a little bit more resilient and maybe um, contribute to the improvement of, you know, efficient transportation systems, coupled with, you know, the opportunities that exist therein to provide, you know, active transportation solutions for, you know, urban dwellers and in turn, you know, combating this challenge around what I, I've read and I kind of coin as urban geometry where we're, you know, using less space to move more people on active modes and on public transit. And um, we're also... Um, helping out with uh, public health and getting people more active. So those were my, my three birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah, and it, from the sounds of it, it, it sounds like you knew you wanted to get into this field from a young age, or um, am, I, am I correct in saying that? Or kind of how did you get introduced to the term urban planning or even Ryerson's urban planning program? Actually, I, uh, I had no idea that urban planning existed before um, or when I graduated high school. Um, as my classmates will know, and some people um, as well, I, um, I did two years of computer science before I, I went into urban planning. So it wasn't until I went to um, a conference in Calgary for uh, sustainable mo mobility that was uh, put on in part by uh, Calgary Transit and the Canadian Urban Transit Association was when I met all of these people who were studying you know, urban planning and, you know, urbanism studies and environmental sciences and all this kind of stuff that I learned that, oh my gosh, you know, this is a program that I can actually, um, I can take and get a degree out of. So um, I kind of connected all the dots there over this, you know, week or weekend, I guess it was a weekend long conference um, where I, I got to learn so much and it was a pretty eye-opening experience. And uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a plug 
right now. Um, stay tuned for a potential upcoming future um, <laughs> youth summit in sustainable transportation in Calgary yet again in November. Uh, there may be one in the works. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Do you still keep a lot of ties um, with your work that I know you've worked in for summers um, in Calgary, but specifically out, out west? Um, I, I do keep keep in contact with the uh, workplaces that I've, I've had the chance to work at. Oh, I didn't mention that earlier, did I? Um, <laughs> I um, yeah, one summer I spent in, in, in Calgary, I worked for the city in transportation infrastructure, and um, I was... On, I was one of six summer students that worked um, on the Green Line, which is a 40-kilometer, $5.5 billion infrastructure project um, that is kind of creating this missing link through um, the center of Calgary, where right now the two existing light rail lines form this X, and there's a missing link directly north to south. And... Um, yeah, the, the people that I worked with, uh, the students I still keep in touch with, um, some of the city staff have kind of moved on and shuffled around, but I've actually been in contact with uh, one of my student colleagues who is going to be um, joining me on this side of the ocean um, to do his master's in the Netherlands. Oh, wow. No, that, uh, that youth summit sounds really, uh, really fascinating. Way to go. That's incredible. Yeah, well, it's a great opportunity, and I would encourage... Um, I don't know if this is exactly the audience <laughs> um, plugging it to, but I would definitely encourage it to be circulated amongst, um, amongst uh, I guess, that, that demographic. So, uh, no, we'll definitely who- um, include the, a link on our on the RPA blog and um, and circulate via social media and anything to support our alumni. That's, that's <laughs> why this committee's here. Very to say. So one of the typical questions I ask on here is, what is a planning buzzword that drives you crazy or that you think is overused or misused? Mm, a, a planning buzzword that drives me crazy. Um, you know, I there was, there was a buzzword that I used all the time in my undergrad that I, I actually ended up kind of owning and embodying myself, and that was proof of concept. Hmm. <laughs> but okay. uh, it, it, it doesn't so much apply anymore um there was one point where i even just wanted to get t-shirts made that put it on you know <laughs> so i could walk around and proclaim this um, proof of concept because it was like that there was this obsession with um hesitation among local governments or any kind of decision making body where oh we can't actually um, make a final decision we need to pilot it or we need a proof of concept in order to make sure that it works despite the fact that you know the the, the proposals that are, are coming up are, are most of the time relatively low risk. It's just the fact that um, the, the the perception of them couldn't maybe go over very well. So this proof of concept was a little bit frustrating for me when uh, you could just dive in and, and give it a shot. But now, um, being in Stockholm, there's um, there's been this recurring kind of word that's come up, and that's um, techno-optimism. And um, hmm. it, it, it kind of has, uh, I, I, I found it to be kind of interesting because we had a guest lecture the other week that brought it up. And um, there's, p- people talk about it a lot of the time without even considering any repercussions. And I always come back home to this, this project in Toronto about, you know, Sidewalk Labs kind of uh, taking over. <laughs> I use this. <laughs> Um, word I don't know I'm just saying taking over but uh, 
uh, is working on a pretty ambitious project for the waterfront. And uh, I, techno optimism, like it's it's thrown around all the time as if you know it's going to be the saving grace of the future. But I I, I seriously question what sort of um, access to data and again then again the ownership of that data and uh, how it's made available to the public especially because it's going to be you know recording people and if the advent of technology and prevalence of technology in our urban environments is going to be a good thing or a bad thing um, I think there's just a lot of questions that we need to have answers um, but I see that there's a huge opportunity that if used um, responsibly can can really crack the code to a lot of problems that we're going to be dealing with in our urban futures. Yeah, and what was it, a headline that I read that they they want their fair share of uh, municipal taxes, and I was like, oh wow, that, that's a bold request to be making. Another classic question that I always ask, if you were a provincial policy document, or even a guideline, and I know you're um, studying in Stockholm in a different country, and you have kind of global experience, um, so it doesn't specifically have to be kind of an Ontario piece of legislation, but if there's any document that 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 you would that you embody, what would it be and why? Mm, see, I um, I gave this uh, some thought actually because you warned me about this question. <laughs> um, I, um, I I I was actually digging through and I was thinking, you know, if there was a piece of Ontario legislation, because you know, I this is stuff that I kind of dug through throughout the entire four years that I was at Ryerson was would there be one that kind of matched my personality or I guess matched my interests and I was I thought okay you know well, there's the there's the, the big move but I guess you know that's kind of been updated or like there's there's the the greater golden horseshoe transportation plan but I, I think that's still still in development and hasn't quite been finalized yet I I hear it's coming in the front part of 2019 but who knows uh, when that'll happen? But if I were to pick one, oh, I I might say uh, the successor to the big move, maybe the um, regional transportation plan for uh, the GTHA. Interesting. <laughs> um, it uh, it kind of um, I guess for people who know me and how I'm a bit of a transportation nut, I guess it kind of addresses uh, a lot of. Um, the issues that I hold near and dear to my heart <laughs> because, uh, uh, yeah, it, uh, it kind of tackles a lot of that stuff. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Um, on the topic of your time at Ryerson, hmm. um, where did you go for your field trips? Um, I, I went for my field trips uh, in third year. I went to Baltimore, and uh, in fourth year, I actually went to. Uh, I was I was in Scandinavia, so we did Stockholm, uh, Malmo, and Copenhagen. And I, I will admit that that uh, that Scandinavian field trip may have sparked an interest in uh, coming back to do um, to do a bit more of uh, to to study here some more. <laughs> did you specifically visit the school that you're at or um, it just was um, the city that you fell in love with or that that sparked kind of a, a desire to live there? Uh, it's actually a couple of reasons. Uh, one was, yes, we actually did visit the school um, that I'm studying at right now. We actually visited the specific faculty and spoke with some of the um, uh, some of the professors and even one of the guest lecturers that came and gave us one of our, our tours that we were on the field trip last year. So it was kind of nice to reconnect and um, and have that come full circle. So that was kind of cool. 
Um, the other thing was just as um, uh, a, an aspiring Canadian planner that um, I wanted to kind of study in a city that experienced um, four distinct seasons that, you know, would also have to deal with winter city planning challenges as well. And Stockholm being in a Scandinavian context kind of is a really, really cool case study and a living city lab where you can kind of get your hands dirty. And I'll, I'll, like, I want to say like half of the, the learning experience is being in the city where you're actually kind of passively learning about the environment that you're living in and, and seeing all the things that kind of exist here. And the other half is in the classroom. So getting, getting that balance is actually really kind of cool. And just being in Europe to have the, um, the, the perspective of, you know, urban environments that existed, you know, pre mainstream car ownership uh, is also a really neat perspective to have. And just the entire um, legislative framework that exists in Europe, especially with the multi-level governance, even up to the, like the, the European union, there's a lot of, um, a lot of different levels that, that you get to work with here. Hmm. Um, back to the four season point. Um, that's a really interesting point. And I think, um, especially for you kind of coming from the Canadian context, um, I'd be interested in, in learning more about the, maybe what you view as, um, as cultural differences versus, um, actual environmental differences, you know, whether that's, uh, extreme temperatures, like do Canadian winters, um, is infrastructure guided by more extreme winters versus just the presence of snowfall or, you know, does Stockholm experience also like super cold extreme weather that influences decisions, you know, such as, as cycling infrastructure and things like that. Does that, does that play into anything? Yeah. Um, or have you, have you noticed that coming from a Canadian context where, you know, they're in days in Calgary in the winter, it's, you know, minus 50. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, Unfortunately, I can't comment to the same degree on winter as I can uh, in Calgary as I can in Stockholm, because <laughs> unfortunately, the only time that I spent in Calgary was uh, in the summer. Um, but as uh, someone who you know rides rides a bike around Stockholm and someone who rode a bike in in Toronto, um, a for one thing, there's way more protected uh, cycle tracks in Stockholm than there are in uh, Toronto, at least on the routes that I need to take on a regular basis. Uh, but B, if, um, if we're going to look at the kind of infrastructure and maybe if uh, the seasonality kind of uh, plays into um, how things are planned here, I, I don't notice that there is as much of um, an emphasis on, you know, kind of hiding away in um, underground walkways as much as there is in Toronto. I, I, that's a, a direct reference to the PATH network. But um, Stockholm, as uh, you may or may not know, has a, a phenomenal Tunnelbana system or metro where um, you can really get anywhere you need to get in, in the city. And it's kind of um, connected, all, all, all the, uh, the spokes of the network are connected by a, a really great light rail system that kind of provides this um, circular network on the uh, fringes, which is um, really great. Uh, the other thing is um, when infrastructure is managed in the winter, one thing that I notice is that um, the bike lanes are effectively cleared and <laughs> you'll notice that uh, in addition to kind of 
the uh, snowplow that they have for the streets, they have little miniature ones that go into the bike lanes. And more often than not, I'll notice that those uh, bike lanes will get cleared um, a little bit quicker than some of the um, the driving lanes. I do have one anecdotal um, experience note was um, I was I was going to the um, the airport one morning at like four in the morning, something ridiculous, and it was like the first really good snowfall that we had here, and um, all of the sidewalks were already cleared um, before I needed to get to the airport, you know, and I, I could still look out on the street, and the streets were still being cleared, so the sidewalks obviously had priority, which was great. Another thing that um, they do a little bit differently here is um, there isn't a really uh, big use of salt at all. That's one thing I, I maybe was a little bit disappointed by, but at the same time, you know, when you think about the environmental impact of using, you know, the quantities of salt that we do in Canada, uh, it really makes you kind of think twice about it. But instead of using salt, what happens here is they just pour out tons and tons of grit or, you know, small stones to kind of uh, give you traction. And in the spring, you know, the the first thing that or you'll say that like a sign of spring is is the little green sprouts that you see coming out of the ground but here no 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 no. the first sign of spring is when they clear those pebbles off of the ground with the <laughs> street sweepers so uh we're actually just finishing up cleaning up all those stone pebbles and um you know it's 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 a true sign that spring is finally here <laughs> yeah no that's really interesting because i think in terms of snow clearance and uh you know the use of salt versus um, gravel like I know um, growing up in southern Alberta that that's used there too gravel and I'm not sure I haven't done the research on it but whether or not it's because of the moisture content of the snow or if it's just a political preference to pack yeah. pack the snow versus melt the snow um, mm. and that I'm not sure of and maybe um, like in terms of moisture content in Stockholm is it fairly humid is it kind of a mix same like in Canada or um in terms of specifically speaking to, say, the clearance of snow on infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, because the, my only experience with kind of, I'm going to air quote this, real winters in Canada is being in Toronto, um, because growing up on the south coast of BC, I didn't really get a lot of snow. Oh, true, up. that's right. <laughs> but um, from what I know in Stockholm is the fact that um, we're right on the coast and there are some warmer ocean currents that help to moderate the temperature here uh, we do actually get some ocean um, some ocean winds I guess we'll say that have a higher moisture content in it so um, if I'm comparing to uh, the prairies or like an Alberta winter I'd say that there's probably more moisture content in the snow here which could easily contribute to uh, a different kind of snow clearing technique but um, the question, I guess, still stands for me, was uh, is if um, it's just a preference to pack and use uh, rocks, or if uh, mm -hmm. or if it's the way to go. But every everybody that I've asked here has said or is insistent that it is a, an environmental choice, and I am convinced. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting. I mean, I'm. Um... I'm used to gravel and that's and when you think about like what you said exactly about um, the environmental impacts on infrastructure of additional salt and the impacts on the salt levels in in the water uh, system and and everything yep. like it's it's huge mm -hmm. so you mentioned on one of your field trips you did um, visit Stockholm 
do you have a favorite field trip memory? It could be, you know, if there's something that amazing that you got to experience or whether it was uh, with the people that you were with. Do you have a favorite uh, field trip memory? Yeah, um, actually, it was it was in Baltimore. Um, it was it was super great to see a city that I would otherwise have never even considered going to. But um, if we're thinking about it in like uh, an academic context, learning about what's going on there, especially because of um, how there is an oversupply of housing and um, there's this constant battle between electing, you know, politicians of different stripes and how one does one thing and then when the other one gets elected, another one does another thing. And, you know, infrastructure projects are proposed, shovel ready, and then get canceled and then are replaced with, you know, patchwork solutions. And when when I went to that field trip, there was um, a a new bus network that that was getting implemented, um, a similar product to what... um, I had the chance to work on another summer job, but that's another anecdote. Um, <laughs> but the this new bus network that was getting implemented, um, they were painting all the new bus lanes, all this stuff. There was actually you know some minor disruptions in in the bus network, and so I I wanted to kind of um, get a taste for what it was like. Had a couple interviews with some uh, some planners down there and chatted uh, with them. But I um, I also had a contact of mine that. Uh, lived in Philadelphia that I wanted to kind of go and meet and uh, discuss some more transportation stuff around the kind of uh, Baltimore, Philadelphia, like DC corridor and kind of meet up with him. And so what I decided to do is take a field trip from the field trip. (laughs) (laughs) And um, one, one evening when we didn't have any uh, meetings planned is I, I, uh, I booked a a Greyhound up to Philadelphia and I wanted to get there. But um, as you may or may not know Baltimore has um, a wide variety of different neighborhoods and some of them are are safer to walk through um, alone than others and uh, because of the bus network interruptions um, I I couldn't make the connection to the Greyhound terminal and ended up having to walk through one of the neighborhoods that um, may have been less safe to be walking alone in than another one and uh, I had ended up having to uh, <laughs> run to uh, to catch that bus to go up to Philly for the evening, but that was uh, an interesting experience. And uh, given that I understood um, the context of why the bus network was so out of whack that one time, and the fact that I had to run nearly across, you know, half of Baltimore, <laughs> um, it was kind of a fun experience, and then I, I got to go meet up with that colleague of mine in uh, Philly for the night, and then came back on the Amtrak in the morning. So oh. that was kind of made it back in time for the next meeting. <laughs> yeah, and like what what I really valued, even just living in Toronto or the Toronto area, is that there's so many amazing cities, you know, in the eastern seaboard of the United States and even Canada that are within driving distance. And I growing yeah. up growing up in Alberta, and I mean. Um, for you too, like there's Seattle and, and Portland, but I mean, for me, it was Montana and you could be driving eight hours and you, you're still in Montana versus, yeah. <laughs> you know, t- Toronto, you drive eight hours, you could go to Cleveland, Chicago, um, yeah. DC's just a little bit further, Baltimore, New York, like all of these places. And I just, I love that. And, you know, cheap, cheap bus and train options that, you know, just, I've, there's so many times that I've just taken an overnight bus to 
to New York. You know, you fall asleep, wake up at the border, fall asleep again, you wake up in New York City. Like, that's wild yeah. to me. So, yeah. yeah. And it really goes to show that, that the cities that you pick to study in really become uh, the, the context that you learn so much about and getting the chance to kind of explore these places and seeing you know, what exists, especially, you know, as an urban planning student is totally invaluable, I, I would say. Yeah, totally. And I, I always think back to, um, I think it was PLG 100. Our, did you have Professor Springer for anything? No. No, I, oh, dang it. I think we were the last ones, maybe. But his first assignment was to ride the 506 streetcar across the city. And I, um, I hear from so many people that that's, it's just, you're forced to to take in everything and that's how um i think even now like that's how urban planners um need to experience things from from more than just looking at a map like there's so many more things to to think about and consider when when doing our jobs yeah and i maybe as a sense of reassurance but um Although Professor Springer did not teach PLG 100 for me, the streetcar assignment did blow through, and it was uh, definitely a worthwhile experience. So it's good. I, I think it's still continuing, as far as I know. Oh, amazing! His legacy lives on. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if Professor Springer listens to this, but if if, if you are Professor Springer, your uh, that assignment was incredibly helpful and uh, eye-opening. Um. Did you have a favorite professor at Ryerson? Was there someone that particularly had a, an influence or a, a lasting memory? Hmm. Um, this is a tricky question. Um, there were, oh man, there's so many good memories that I have of uh, classes and, and things that I learned. Yeah. Or, I was, if, or if you don't have a favorite professor, maybe just um, describe some positive professor or student interactions that you that you had at Ryerson. Um, one thing I, I will note, and actually this this comes from going to Ryerson and also getting the chance uh, to to go on exchange in second year, and now um, being at another university here in Sweden, is that um, Ryerson and the, the planning school there does a really good job of getting people that are grounded in their fields of professional practice and I'm just going to think of one example like a Professor Cosney who worked on you know the Regent Park project and having that literally at the doorstep of Ryerson and having someone being able to speak with uh, you know such a level of expertise on that project has been uh, fantastic and that level or that, that balance of you know academia and professional practice is something that was so valuable in the learning experience at Ryerson that I, I didn't necessarily get that when I was on exchange. And now being here at KTH, there's um, like, yes, it's still a technical institution, but the the professors that teach us, you know, regularly full time don't necessarily have the same degree of professional practice or, you know, real world experience, I'm going to say, um, as, as some of the professors at Ryerson. And uh, they'll have to contract in, you know, people or just professionals that are, are actively working but don't have the, you know, academic balance necessarily. So I think uh, Ryerson does a really good job of kind of balancing that together. But if I'm going to think of some good, like, interactions, like, yeah, the, like a walking tour that Mitch Cosney ran that was great. Um, we uh, When I... When I had the chance to attend some of the um, the talks that um, you know Professor McCartney 
and uh, Professor Lister were involved in and getting the chance to kind of meet with uh, the presenters after the fact was really great to have those, you know, conversations and the um, the real down to earth kind of nitty gritty getting to know the behind the scenes um, kind of stuff was really, really, really useful. Um, one particular um, lecture, the Nelson Bird Woltz landscape architecture presentation was super, super interesting. It kind of opened my my eyes into uh, a field that I wasn't necessarily familiar with, and um, Professor McCartney and Professor Lister were involved with that, so that was a really great experience as well. I could go on, but uh, <laughs> for, for the sake of um, for the sake of time, those are those are two that stand out and are just just on the top of my head. Um, so, kind of one one of the last things I wanted to talk about was kind of what you're what you're currently working on in, at school. Is it um, a thesis program? Are there any side projects you're working on? Just to get a, a better understanding of what of where where life has taken you, and maybe um, to talk about what uh, where you plan on going in terms of after school. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to uh, discuss some of that. It's a, lo- a lot of it is in flux right now because uh, this. This semester goes until the end of May, so there are still some things that are um, developing, I'm going to say. But right now, um, the nature of the program that I'm in right now kind of straddles three other programs. So this program was created so that we could take courses in transportation and geomatics, um, urban and regional planning, as well as architecture and design. So um, any semester I can take... um, any term I can shuffle around corpus or any of these three programs. So right now what I'm doing is I'm taking a design studio and I'm taking an urban economics course. And in the design studio, we're working on projects right now about um, this town uh, just outside of Stockholm called Axelesund, where there's a major iron company called SSAB. And uh, they're working to transition their production away from uh, carbon intensive production methods and it's going to involve um, a pretty big change to some of the built form because a lot of their facilities are going to be kind of opened up and made available for I guess urban intervention and uh, we're working or I'm working uh, within my group on uh, making a, a proposal that could re- you know, remediate the land and also create um, new economic opportunities that are both respectful to the environment and uh, still give uh, dignity to the people that are, you know, going to be transitioning away from, you know, one industry into another. So it's it's not um, a brownfield per se. It's an active industrial town that is transitioning from one technology to another, uh, to another. And uh, that's a, a pretty neat kind of scenario to be in, but it's also a challenge because it's something that I've never necessarily dealt with before. And because the course is in uh, a design and architecture um, sphere, it's a, a totally different way of looking at a project than I've had in the past. So um, just to have the iterative design process work its way through and look at, at like the entire process from site of extraction to you know actual you know finished product where you're, you're shipping something out, um, out of the country is, is really interesting to see that entire process and to plan for, you know, the infrastructure and the just built form that exists around that process. It's, it's, it's really quite interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a really interesting project. It kind of reminds me of, to some extent, the Green New Deal, you know, the focus on yeah. the focus on the on the shifting technologies and, you know, the need for 
for greener technologies, but also understanding that there is a transition that's needed. But mm. but yeah, how have you, um, in terms of Stockholm, you know, Stockholm is, is perceived as a very progressive, environmentally conscious country. And so in terms of maybe it's, it's transferable uh, qualities to other countries or other places, is that something that you're also kind of looking into? Yeah, um, maybe not so actively as I uh, like to admit, but there are a lot of things that I'm kind of learning and taking away that I, I don't necessarily realize or that I, that I take for granted living here. Uh, one of those things that I think, um, you know, I think Toronto has a, a tiny, minute piece of what Stockholm has, but in the opposite way. And what I'm talking about is a district um, temperature control. Like uh, this, Stockholm has a uh, a network of um, district heating that exists throughout the entire city, and um, Toronto has, I think, a, a a deep lake cooling that exists in the downtown core to kind of cool the buildings. But I. I, I'm not aware of district heating except for maybe in a couple examples of maybe like Regent Park, but uh, Stockholm and Orlando and everywhere that exists here, like you have your stormwater, you have your uh, drinking water, you have your other utilities. And in addition to everything that you would imagine in a Canadian city, there's also district heating that buildings plug into. So having that kind of shared amongst an entire city, you know, creates whole new efficiencies, which is uh, amazing. And another thing that is really pushed here is um, biofuel, um, which really is just, um, I guess, the incineration of materials that can be incinerated to transfer uh, to basically transferred into energy and then having those emissions scrubbed. So essentially, what you get is a really, really efficient and clean way to producing energy as well as, you know, producing district heating. And another thing around those district heating systems is that the project that we're working on in Oxelsund at SSAB, where they use uh, a, like, a, a smelting plant, I, maybe I'm getting this wrong, I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, all the heat that they generate from the iron production process is actually um, siphoned into a district heating system that Oxelsund uses. So the private industry is actually contributing to uh, the the heating of the entire town, which is actually really, really neat that I thought. And that's just one example of uh, something cool that's going on here. Hmm. That is, that's fascinating. Um, are there any other uh, even side projects that you're working on? Any self, um, self-guided self tours of Stockholm or Europe that you've taken? I know, um, you know, students that live in, in Europe or basically anyone who lives in Europe, you know, the... the yeah. Um, the proximity and the availability of, you know, cheaper flights and trains. And have you taken advantage of that at all? Um, yes and no. Um, I'm actually going to, you, you touched on something about cheap flights. There's, um, and uh, bringing it around to kind of how Sweden is perceived as a very environmentally conscious country. Um, it's, it's interesting to note that um, there's actually a word in Swedish called fliegskott, um, which translates to flight shame where um you know people are actually guilted into not flying because of how bad it is for the environment and it's kind of you know taken an effect on me because my my the trip that i'm taking over easter break is done almost exclusively by train and i'm only taking one flight back and i already feel guilty about it oh, no. <laughs> um but yeah in, in terms of other projects um one thing i guess i could mention is like i'm 
I'm going on exchange to uh, the Netherlands in the fall to um, to see kind of cycling planning. And I'm also going to be taking a, a cycling planning summer course in Amsterdam this summer where I'm really trying to get the full European planning experience under my belt to see what I can you know learn and bring back to Canada. So those are some exciting developments that I am looking forward to in the next little while. That is so interesting. I am I'm slightly jealous because I've a I've never been to Europe. So I think that would be just a great experience. Um, but yeah, also in terms of cycling, and I think um, like what you mentioned, your your intention is to is to come back to Canada. I, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, yeah. I of course would love to come back to Canada once I'm done. Yeah. So I think that that's um, in terms of you know being a Canadian learning. Um, you know, different cultures and uh, different ways of planning, especially for transportation. I think that that it's going to be really interesting, and I'm excited to see, you know, like what what you're able to learn and experience and bring back to to Canada. Because I think it, you know, you're you, Alex. You're one of like the smartest people I know in terms of planning and like I'm, I'm always I'm always in awe of you and in, in the what in what you're saying, but. Um, you know, you won't you won't be the the person to just say, oh, well, they did this in Amsterdam, so like let's try it here. Like there there's nuances that need to be accounted for in terms of environment and and culture and things like that. So I'm really um, I have uh, I have a lot of anticipation for what um, for what's going to come of all this uh, all this education that you're that you're gathering. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I'm I'm honestly like I'm just here to. Uh, to learn everything that I can because you know as we hear in Canada of how you know incredibly progressive and uh, and forward-thinking you know these parts of the world are you know if I get the opportunity to kind of put myself in these situations and really immerse my um, myself in learning all about um, what there is and you know bring it back to Canada uh, a country that you know I still call home and uh, love dearly that um, you know if there's any way that I can make it better uh, I'd, uh, I'd be thrilled to do that. Yeah, maybe just leave out the word socialist country. I know that's a, a bad word now um, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, political political polarization. Socialism is the word not to say um, right now, especially with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's the, the evil socialist that... Um, <laughs> I'll probably edit that part out, but... Um, <laughs> No, thank you so much for um, for offering to chat with me. I know we maybe oh my gosh, it's almost been an hour. This has been way too long. I'll have to edit this down. But um, <laughs> um, but no, thank you so much. I know that you're busy with school and time change or the time our time difference is big. But um, thank you for joining for it's joining. My pleasure. <laughs> this has been fun, and uh, I I'll extend an open invitation if anybody's in. Uh, this part of the world, uh, definitely get in touch. I'd be thrilled to show you around Stockholm. And um, there are, actually, I'm not the only Ryerson planning alumni in the city. So I'm looking forward to potentially connecting with uh, some other alumni that are already working here and uh, making their mark on this part of the world. So wow. I'll maybe connect with them as well. Yeah, well, uh, that sounds like the start of our first um, Ryerson planning subcommittee in Stockholm. <laughs> kind of a- a new chapter. That sounds All great. Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening to this episode where I chatted with Alex. Stay tuned for the next episode of Planorama.